you ever look at someone and wonder, what is going on inside their head? Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Essentials Podcast. I'm your host, Maddie Flint, and today I'm going to talk about the dark side of the self-love movement. The Bible tells us how important it is to love ourselves, and so does modern culture. But the word love in both of these concepts has different implications. The world tells us that we should love ourselves so much and we should want to date ourselves. Yes, I've seen that on Instagram. I've seen people say that all the time. And that we should be loud and proud about who we are, even if what we stand for and do is not right. On the other hand, the Bible says that we should love ourselves, meaning to have self-respect and to love ourselves humbly because we are beautifully and uniquely made by God. It's an honor, really, to have life, and we should value that. Really, we are the vessels of his word, and we need to remember that. So as humans, we know that we get sad, we get depressed, we lose self-esteem. It's even more likely that that's a common occurrence in people with social media. It's always shoving someone else's quote-unquote perfect skin, hair, body, and life in our faces. And our youth is highly susceptible to that. And it's not a new thing that people feel like they're inadequate when they compare themselves with someone else, because that's where the problems arise. We're human. It happens. We all do it from time to time, comparing ourselves, I mean, but how we resolve those feelings of inadequacy is where my whole discussion comes in. So there actually is a word for having conflicting thoughts about our actual self and how we want to be, and that is incongruence. And between individuals, there are natural discrepancies that will come with incongruence. We should love ourselves, but how should we love ourselves? By saying everything we have is valid? That all of our actions are good? That the ways we live shouldn't be questioned by anyone else because that would be discrimination? What about praising people with mental health disorders, not because they're battling something difficult and overcoming it, but because they have the disorder, therefore deserve more respect? Is this all a part of equity? So some of these methods are actually causing a lot of problems. And this brings me to another point. Are our psychologists, lots of whom have been taught how to diagnose people's disorders by politically biased institutions, spearheading these problems? I know that's hefty and I am not coming after all psychologists and all therapists, but lately the left has taken on the job of grouping people by identity and pushing this self-love movement. I think personally, that there is lots of room for misdiagnosing someone or possibly coming to the wrong consensus in psychotherapy, even more so than there is in places like general medicine, which is for physical health problems. And even there, they use a lot of heuristics, so they are doing a lot of guesswork and a lot of assumptions and generalizations. And this has been a problem ever since the emergence of psychology as a field of study and since people were beginning to be treated for mental health issues. So just to get back to that term, because I just want to also give a little bit more background for it, is that incongruence is a humanistic psychology concept developed by Carl Rogers, and it suggests that unpleasant feelings can result from a discrepancy between our perceived self 
and our ideal self. So that's what I was talking about before when I said our actual selves versus the self that we want to be. And the perceived self is how an individual views themselves and the ideal self is obviously how the way an individual wishes they were. And when these overlap, we may be feeling that we wish something about ourselves was different. And I think everybody goes through that. And the reason that I bring up that there's so much room to make errors in diagnosing somebody when it comes to psychotherapy is because how can we really know what's going on in somebody else's head? We can never truly know the subconscious thoughts of someone else because we don't even know the subconscious of ourselves. They can't access those thoughts. We can't access ours. That's why psychoanalysts like Freud were so invested in studying people's dreams because they thought maybe that was a window to the subconscious. But if we don't know our own, then somebody else certainly does not know it for us. And because of this, there's going to be some error. There's going to be some subjectivity in there somewhere. And that leads into my argumentation. Are left-leaning psychologists' diagnoses influenced by subjective biased politics? And that's kind of a rhetorical question, I guess, because the answer is yes. And it's not just psychologists who are doing this. It's all sorts of medical practitioners as well. But the issue here is that unlike oncology or endocrinology, which is internal medicine where you, you know, go to actually get treatment for your health condition. Psychology, where you also are supposed to be getting treatment for your health condition, has a lot of room for that subjectivity because there's nothing tangible in it. Like in oncology, you'll get immunohistochemistry and you're going to be able to see those cells on the glass slides that they're on and there's no question about it of what you're looking at. But you can't look at something objectively in psychology. Behavioralists will try to come at this from an objective perspective though, treating observable symptoms caused by some form of conditioning, but the whys for these psychological disorders can stem from any number of things. And as LGBTQ movements trend in increase in commonality within social politics, it seems like there are more and more and more diagnoses of it. Definitely watch Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman, if you haven't already. That contains a lot of field evidence for exactly what I'm saying, which is great. But to revisit the psychologist part, one of the ways a lot of therapists and psychologists are trained in treating mental disorders is in insight therapy. And the definition of insight therapy would be that insight equals cure. So if they can get the insight into the person's life and come up with a possible reason for the issues, then they share that insight with the patient so that he or she can be cured. But if a therapist is seeking to act based on their own political ideology and continue that narrative and, and not acting on an objective outlook that excludes their own personal political beliefs and focuses on the patient's life, then of course there will be confusion and misdiagnosis. As we get more and more woke therapists, sex therapists, and psychologists we're going to see more and more people having these trending disorders. Like for one major example, eating disorders, which ties into the body positivity movement. First of all, as sort of a disclaimer, I am not bringing up eating disorders to say that they don't exist because they do and they should be treated appropriately um, depending on the circumstances of the person who is struggling with the eating disorder. Now, 
If everyone is spurred to point out when others or they themselves are fasting, being concerned with taking in too many calories or food that is unhealthy, generally foods high in sugar or fats or cholesterol or salts, whatever it may be, and immediately they're told they should self-diagnose that that is some sort of eating disorder, that is just going to create more problems. Not everybody who is careful of what they give to their bodies has an eating disorder, but according to the body positivity cultural movement that is sweeping the socials, especially Instagram, if you aren't feeling completely guilt-free about eating whatever you want, you're mentally ill. This sounds like another way to promote poorer health choices, all in the name of destroying a beauty image. A misogynistic beauty image, I should add. And Obviously, there are better ways to feel good about your body than to give in and eat a bunch of junk food that you're gonna throw up because it's bad for you or it upsets your stomach and let go of the internalized misogyny that's forcing you to wanna watch your figure. First of all, the internalized misogyny is the new word for anxiety that women have about themselves. It wasn't good enough just to say that you're feeling self-conscious. Now it's a man's fault that you don't like your image. If anything, I feel like in reality, a lot of girls, including myself, find ourselves comparing ourselves to other girls. Some will say that we do this because we're all subconsciously wanting more male attraction, which I'm not completely throwing out because that does play a part in it. But I really think the comparison comes from wanting to be what we think pretty is. And I know people are going to say, well, where do you think that standard comes from? I think at least in today's day and age, it's coming from other women. And if a guy likes us, great. It's not always about the male attention. Sometimes, like this is something specifically that I've actually dealt with. It's that we see an outfit on a girl that we would like to wear because we think it looks good, but maybe we think it looks better on them. And then we're like, okay, so why does that look better on them? Maybe her legs are longer. Maybe she has a different physique. Maybe there's just something different about body shape and it's different than me. I'm short, I'm 5'2", I'm, I have short legs and short arms, which is fine, but I might really want to wear some specific outfit from Instagram, but it looks really good on a tall person and would look terrible on me, that might make me upset on the wrong day. But that specific scenario, that has nothing to do with men forcing misogyny on us. So going back to what I was saying before all of that, being anxious about our bodies as females happens. It happens to guys too, but since gender is mutually exclusive, I'm not trying to speak for the guys. So now instead of a weight loss trend, there's a weight gain trend. And that gain will represent that you learned to love yourself, that you're healing from mental trauma and now gaining confidence as well. And now I love people of all sizes. I don't skinny shame or fat shame, and there's nothing wrong with either. And all of us that are in the middle, totally fine. There is no problem with anyone of any size. But there shouldn't be this movement encouraging people to diagnose everyone who isn't fat with an eating disorder because that is also mentally damaging. And this also gives way to what I think looks like very backhanded compliments to people who are fat and who are trying to lose weight. What if they didn't need your online validation? Who says that anyone who is not a size four is ashamed of themselves? So wouldn't that imply that anybody who's not a size four hates themselves and we must immediately point that out to them? There are negative assumptions occurring. 
The first one, that all people who are watching their dietary intake are forming or have an eating disorder and must be told their truth immediately. And two, everybody who is not skinny has been ashamed of themselves, thus why they don't wear revealing clothing and that should change. For an example, Lizzo. So really that that body positivity movement is I think mentally damaging to women and girls of all sizes. It doesn't discriminate on who to pick on at all. So it's really accomplishing exactly the opposite of what I think it started out to do. And this point really isn't just on the basis of weight, but on everything else. And I want to highlight that it is within everything that makes us look or act differently than each other. So yes, this movement has encouraged people to embrace their differences, but I truly think that there are a lot of negatives that have come out of it as well. And I feel like that's where the controversial dark side to this comes in. Like, why do these emerging psychologists heighten their focus on diagnosing people with mental disorders so much? Have you guys noticed that? Like, how is there so much emphasis on mental health and well-being, but everybody's on meds, everybody has OCD, everybody has PTSD and bipolar disorder? Like, these terms are being tossed around so loosely, I really think they're overdoing it. And while I'm not a psychologist, I am studying psychology, and I have learned about these disorders, they can be extremely serious. People truly do suffer from them, and a lot of the time, they will go untreated because there's a stigma of going to ask for help if you have a mental health disorder because you can't see it. But then there are people who are faking disorders on the internet to get clout because of how trendy it is now to have something wrong with you. That just highlights the premium that has been placed on having a disorder, right? Because it's okay not to be okay. And like that term, for example, that's like reinforcement. Like the whole point of saying that is supposed to help people realize that it's okay to have a mental health disorder and that it's okay to be different. But I feel like for some reason, mass media and uh, especially social politics in America and probably some other countries, but I, I'm talking about America because I live here. It's becoming trendy to be super messed up. And that is a dangerous narrative to force on people. So what I was talking about with that reinforcement, I feel like it's just encouraging people to to want to have a disorder like this. And then once they come out and they say they have the disorder, then they can be grouped into people who are bipolar. Meanwhile, everybody who truly has bipolar disorder and it's not just oh i'm happy one one minute and i'm kind of sad the next it's very extreme and it can be very painful for the person struggling with it and the individual's family and friends it's nothing to joke about and i feel like we're seeing these terms just thrown around like people are saying they have ptsd and then there are military veterans who actually have ptsd who are not getting the help that they deserve to get and that's just one example of how people can get PTSD. I don't think living with any of the many serious mood disorders out there is cute or trendy. It should not be something that people are making a part of their character. Like in college, and I know from experience, you meet someone for the first time and you can just tell by what they are wearing and how they speak and how they wear their hair, their whole aesthetic, that this person also has some kind of mood disorder, ADHD, OCD, PTSD, anxiety disorders. Now, why is it like that? Why are people including a mental disorder with their aesthetic and making it a whole part of their character instead of actively working on 
getting better and moving past that, why would they want to focus all of their personality on the disorder? Because grouping, the group really will be subjected to identity politics and a narrative for why they don't have as many rights will be written. And then this group is encouraged to protest for rights that they have, but are told that they don't have, and to emphasize what makes them a part of this group. And boom, it's a battle against individuality and a war on mental health again. So while that may be a little bit controversial, maybe you think I'm a conspiracy theorist, I really don't care. This is just observations that I've been able to make as a student at a public university. And the Bible tells us we should love ourselves tenderly, like you should wish to be the best version of yourself that you can be. It's an honor. And in order to fully love somebody else, we should love ourselves. And when I say that, I mean that we should love ourselves in the way that the Bible tells us to love ourselves, humbly and graciously. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Essentials Podcast. And while you're here, I hope that you check out all the other great podcasters that are also on this platform, the BMG Network.